Welcome to today's episode of the Blueprint Podcast, where we throw out the old blueprint so we can learn to become who we were always meant to be. I'm your host, Jason Smith, and if you haven't already, make sure you click the subscribe button and share the podcast with your friends on social media and tag me in it at jbirdfit. Our guest today is Jessica Baum, LMHC. She is the founder of the Relationship Institute of Palm Beach, providing couples therapy, family counseling, and addiction therapy in South Florida for over 10 years. She is also the author of Anxiously Attached, Becoming More Secure in Life and Love, having received worldwide praise by several experts in her industry. She has helped thousands of clients with her unique approach to healing, the self-full method. Through her sister company, Be Self-Full, Jessica offers transformational courses and online coaching services that support individuals and couples to form healthy, long-term relationships. Jessica, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here to share your experience and expertise with the Blueprint audience. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And I'm, I have to say, I absolutely love your book. For those of you who are listening or watching or struggling with an insecure attachment style, go out, get your copy of Anxiously Attached by Jessica Baum today. You're not going to regret it. Thanks. Now, it's no secret that attachment styles have grown in popularity over the past several years, primarily due to social media, which is both a blessing and a curse. But can you give us the Cliff Notes version of attachment styles for people in the audience that are just being introduced to this? Sure. There are four different categories. And I even want to be careful with the word categories, because like you said, there are insecure categories, and then they're secure. Um, But the insecure categories are anxious, avoidant and fearful. And what that means is the way in which you attached and co-regulated, so the way in which you learned about connection and the safety or not safe feelings that come from disconnect or smothering come from your earliest experiences and are embedded in your nervous system. So we learn how to adapt and connect and disconnect and what our needs are from these early interactions with mom. Primarily, they get laid down in our nervous system. And we learn our felt sense of safety, our need for connection, our need for whatever we need. We're learning on a, um, a level in our nervous system so early on. And these embedded patterns make up our belief system around um, what it is like to be in relationship, what we need in relationship, and our adaptive strategies in relationships. So later in our adult years, we experience threat or we experience something that doesn't feel safe and our nervous system responds in the same way it did when we were small. So we have these crazy visceral responses in our gut and, you know, we shut down, we explode, we have all these experiences experiences inside of us when it comes to intimate um, relationships and we're left like bewildered and it all boils down to our attachment style and the combination of our embedded patterns and attachment style in combination with somebody else's and the relational attachment patterns combined and so we can have these dances with people that can be pretty painful and without really understanding the underpinnings it can be so confusing and I just thought it was really important to start to get this information out to the general public so people can make better senses of sense of their behaviors, have more compassion for their behaviors, start to understand our need for connection and why some of the things that we do that appear crazy aren't actually that crazy at all. And, and I did love that part in your book, explaining how we react to certain situations in our environment and that it can be almost out of character at times because we are so emotionally dysregulated in that moment. Now, a lot of people 
wear their attachment style like a protective suit of armor. In some ways, it's a means of not having to look inward at ourselves. Is our attachment style a permanent state of being in our relationships? Absolutely not. Healing is always possible. Um, But healing does require one to look inward. And I find that avoidant people get the worst rap because they really struggle looking inward, but so do anxious people. Um, So one is avoiding the abandonment wound and one is avoiding intimacy. But either way, there's avoidance because one doesn't feel safe, whether they're scared of being alone or they're scared of getting close. So I think that through and I would say with anxiously attached people and also with avoidant people, but I'll say there's a missing link developmentally around self-regulation. So that neural wiring didn't get laid down because mom didn't stand in um, for parasympathetic well enough. Maybe her system was wired. Um, a little bit anxious. And so a lot of people can't self-regulate. And so they look to their partner to co-regulate or to calm down. And that's what shows up a lot in an anxious person. But you can heal neuroplasticity, which we've proven is happening and changing all the time. And it takes a lot of work to heal, but we can earn security through secure relationships and through doing the work. What about people who identify more with a secure attachment style can they be on the spectrum and, and lean one way or the other and develop avoidance or anxiousness in a relationship? Absolutely. So you can have a more secure base and partner with someone who's very anxious or very avoidant and still have um, your work to come up. You're less likely to get as dysregulated and more likely to get back into what we call homeostasis or like in a balanced place. But your work will show up and it's easier to work through that because you're the self regulate a couple of internal things that make it easier, but we're all getting awakened and we all have rupture and repair in our relationships. So if you're secure, you just have a little bit more of a leg up and you have a little bit more trust and you're, and you have an easier time being close and you have an easier time with space. So you have an easier time moving in and out of those Um, ways of being in relationships. So it's just easier, but it doesn't mean that your work won't show up. And if you partner with someone who's really avoidant, you might be a good match for them, but your work will show up and all of a sudden you'll be like, why am I anxious? Well, you partnered with someone really far on that end of the spectrum and vice versa. The amount of comments I get regarding all this stuff is like, it can be overwhelming at times. You you find even the most secure people in their relationships are finding that they're, they're hitting that point of anxiousness with their partner and they're questioning themselves like, what's wrong with me? What am I going through? What's happening right now? I don't understand. I've never experienced this before. Then they'll start using terms like gaslighting and stuff like that. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily what's happening. You're just emotionally dysregulated and you've had the tools of resilience for most of your life. But now you've entered into this relationship and it's become confusing. Yeah. And I, you know, there's something called the wheel of attachment. So you can shift on the wheel depending on who you're, you're attaching to. So you can become disorganized. So if you're anxious or avoidant and you attach with someone who's really on the other end of the spectrum, they can bring up your disorganized parts. Remember all these parts that people are saying, oh, this is coming up in my relationship. They already live inside of you. They're being awakened in your relationship. And so that's, It's hard because we want to blame our partner. We've all been there and it's our partner can make it easier and can do the work with us, but it wouldn't be explosive inside if we didn't have a memory, like a a, a early memory of that existing in our body already. And that's so 
hard to comprehend. But um, if we didn't have that memory and that visceral reaction, we would respond differently. And so it's just more information and uh, a way to get really curious as to why am I so uncomfortable or why am I going through so much pain? And it's an earlier memory being awakened inside. If it's an earlier memory, is this something that we're cognizant of? I wish. Okay. So when we're born, we're born we're born more in our right hemisphere. We don't have our left hemisphere completely developed. So the way in which we store memory early on, like from womb to about four, we start to shift at eight is through sensation. We, we don't store explicit memory. We don't store memory like we're watching a movie um, in our mind's eye. We actually store sensation. And those sensations get lodged in our body if, if they become trauma and they're not received. And so when we're having sensation, like a lot of sensation show up in our relationship, it's most likely memory. And most of the general public does not know that. And it gets us, all of us, myself included, into so much hot water. Um, and it's so confusing, which is primarily why I wrote the book, because I don't want people yeah. to be so confused. It's just really hard to conceptually understand that your partner is not making you feel this way. This feeling actually lives inside of you. They might not be helping. Um, they might be adding to your suffering, but they're not creating it. We've referenced that as a trapped emotion. An embedded trauma. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's it's embedded in, in the body and with a lot of help and support, whether couples counseling or individual therapy, actually, when you start to feel it, we can start to be with it. And when we can start to be with it, that's when it moves from embedded trauma into an integrated place in our bodies and we become hopefully more embodied. One of the biggest challenges we are often asleep to is our patterns. How can we become more aware of our repeating patterns of self-worth and abandonment? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, we all have these core wounds that are like at the root of a tree and they are sometimes developmental shame and how we turn what we're experiencing inward which is actually a form, a brilliant adaptation to protect ourselves instead of realizing there's something really go wrong going out outside of ourselves when we're young, we start to internalize that there's something wrong with me, whether it's I'm unlovable or I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough. And we um, internalize that within. So it lives deep inside of us and it seems to show up over and over and over again. And there's a sensation attached to it. It's awful and it needs so much healing. And you're, if you're listening to this and you can identify you're not alone and you learned to believe this about yourself in order to survive and unlearning it and healing it is so worth it. And it takes a little bit of work and yeah, we, we just brilliantly adapt because it's, it's scarier to think there's something wrong with a parent than there is to think that there's something wrong with me. And we're pretty egocentric when we're younger. So we just turn it all inward. We internalize everything. And I think it's so important to remember that you are not alone. Not everybody has had your exact experience, but we do have these similar shared experiences that we can identify with over time. And so that's why I love when people share their story with others, because you can find a piece of yourself in that story and maybe a tool of resilience in there as well that you can use for yourself. Absolutely. And that's part of the reason why I decided to be vulnerable when I was writing my book was I, you know, I study this stuff and I am no different than anybody else. Like I, if 
have had to live through that. I've had to earn security in a lot of ways and it's hard and, you know, it's part of the human experience. And it's also important to know that most professionals have experienced it on one level. And I think just being vulnerable like that helps people feel like they're not alone, especially when they're reading something or learning. It's like, no, you're not alone. We've, we've been there. I've been there and it's, it's gut-wrenching. How have you been able to reconcile those two things? Because you have this clinical perspective, but then you also have this deeply personal perspective and then trying to combine the two at the same time, like logically you get it, but from a, you know, emotional body standpoint, you're, you're still going through those emotions. Yeah. I mean, I, I had to heal a lot, even in the course of writing the book, I think that, you know, if you believe in your heart that other people are suffering with things that you have either overcome or suffered or continue to work through, then you know that, you know, you're joining in that way. And when I wrote the book, I wanted people to know that I was with them because anxiously attached people, one of the core wounds is feeling alone. And if I can accompany you as a safe person, as you journey through this territory, and by the way, the invitation is to invite more and more safe people into your world, because that's actually how healing happens. It's through secure relationships. But if I could also align with you, hold your hand metaphorically, but energetically, and make you feel like, hey, you're not alone. I've been there. I know about this. And energetically, I'm with you. Then it's it opens the pathway to healing and feeling. And so I thought that was really important. If I had just come off as the professional, it makes you feel like you versus me versus no, it's a we. We're in this together. Like we are, we're all human. And yeah, I know a lot about it, but it's important to know that I have suffered too. Yeah, that it's such a big thing. I, I don't understand why people can't see professionals as human beings. <laughs> you know, it seems to be this disconnect that that somehow, you know, you have all these superpowers and you're going to heal everybody and you're going to fix everything and you're it's the be all end all and it's like, well, no, you have that with inside of you and and that's kind of your job, the individual to start working on those things and developing those tools of resilience to help push you forward and away from that insecurity to develop that secure, more secure attachment style. It's a lifetime job. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, if you're listening and you're with someone or you're in a relationship and you feel like, oh, my partner won't do the work or they're gaslighting me or whatever story you're telling yourself, the agency in that is that you can always do your own work. No one ever stops you from getting the right support. Doesn't even have to be a therapist. It can be a non-judgmental friend that holds your pain and helps you um, not fixes you, you know, doesn't try to solve the problem, the external problem, but starts to hold space or a therapist or the right coach. There's so much agency in knowing that you can choose to heal at any time. You do not need somebody else in your life to be healing with you in order for you to have the agency to go and, and really do your own work. I love that you went there because it leads into the next question. I love the language that you use in the book. It's part clinical, part spiritual. And one of the things we often talk about are our triggers. Can you define what a trigger is for the audience? So a trigger is something that is the past is the eternal present. So I was talking about, you know, how we can pick up things that can activate us. Um, I really have learned a lot about replacing the word trigger with awakened because really that shifts it out of like this shame and this gun, like this whole visual of like, here I am, I'm in a trigger again versus I am awakening. This is a, an old part of me 
a younger part of me that shifts into fight, flight, freeze, fawn, whatever it is, it's being awakened because of this external event. And now I have to be with this part of me. I have to get curious. I might even have to bring it to somebody else to help me get curious. And so, you know, we talk about you triggered me, you triggered me constantly blaming um, the external world. And the truth is these awakened parts actually live inside of you. So somebody on the outside, their behavior is awakening something deep within you. And so to really take responsibility of like, wow. And I think the first step is awareness and curiosity around. I don't, I don't like the way this feels in my gut, or I don't like the behaviors that come up for me and all, they all make sense given how scared I was or how my need for connection is so strong or how my abandonment wound showed up. Like now we are talking about really kind of raising your level of consciousness essentially into your internal world, which is like the pathway to like so much liberation. (laughs) Once you get past some of the pain. Yes. No, for sure. When I make my videos, you'll often hear me say, I'm not blaming you. Because when I share this information, when I put it out there, it can almost feel like I'm an authority figure and you're in trouble. And it's like, well, you're not in trouble. This is just an awareness of viewing your experiences and what you're going through in this moment. But they tend to lean towards blame, shame and guilt. Yeah. So, I mean, then those are natural defense mechanisms um, or in projections. And we all live in a lot of projections, especially in a relationship. We think that our partner is supposed to act one way. And then when they act another way, we get really upset and we make up a story in our head. And I mean, it's so common and it's so confusing and it can be so hard. And I, the only thing that's really helped me is oh God, this might be making me uncomfortable right now. And can I be with that uncomfortability? What is this really connected to for me? Have I felt this way before? Um, If my partner can't hold space for me, who can help me explore that? Once you start to look at that, it kind of opens the window to there is so much more going on than the present moment. The past is the eternal present because of streams of information, because of how we store memory and because of our neuroception. So I think it just creates a curiosity that really kind of invites a deeper knowing of yourself. And that's the way you kind of have to start looking at triggers and blaming and projection. It's hard to get out of your projections. It's really hard. A common self-perception is that we're somehow inherently broken and that we not only have to fix ourselves, but other people. How can we shift our mindset to get out of that? I don't know that that we're inherently broken, but I think that wounding happens to just about everyone when we're small and sometimes we're not in touch with it or we are in touch with it. And then we make up a story around it and without the compassionate understanding of neuroscience and how we adapt to survive, we can feel shame around this quote unquote brokenness versus, wow, I adapted this way to survive. This is my nervous system. This is what needs I didn't get met. This is what I'm looking for. When you start to talk about those things, we shift out of you know, brokenness into this state of compassion for what we didn't get and why we are the way we are. And it, and once we develop that compassion for our own history and our own parts, then we tend to have more compassion for those in, in the world as well. So it's kind of a mirroring effect. What role does our nervous system play then in all of this? Everything. <laughs> what, is, what does that look like? Um, so anytime we fight, flight, freeze, shut down, get reactive, um, run away from our problems, whatever those are, those are nervous system responses and they're reacting to threat all the time. So we are 
biologically wired to stay in connection. And yet we will also through neuroception. So we have this radar that like kind of can look for potential threat. So this can be our partner picking up their phone or eye rolling or a sigh. There's subtleties in tone. There's subtleties in the environment where it can send an avalanche of um, sensation in our body. And then our body perceives threat that way. So if you had a parent that was disconnected a lot and not available, and then you fall in love and the person's doting on you and all of a sudden they start to disconnect, it's going to set off this nervous, um, this neuroception inside of you and say, oh, danger, danger. My partner's disconnecting the same way a child would sense danger. So it's kind of important to understand that, that all of these things are connected and we get dysregulated and two people with two dysregulated systems struggle getting back into connection. And, and so people can stay like an anxious avoidant dance. They're both dysregulated in fear at the same time. So eventual state of connection is very hard to reach when both people, one is trying to run towards connection to feel safe and one is trying to run away to feel safe. So those are both sympathetic activation responses and neither one of them can get safely back into connection, which is a very, very painful dynamic to be stuck in. What advice or guidance would you give to somebody who's anxiously attached and they're in a relationship with an avoidant to be able to connect with the avoidant when they pull so, away? Uh, yeah. So I think when you're with someone who's avoidant the, mm -hmm. and they pull away, the last thing you want to do is reach out and try to connect with them. That's the first thing you want to do because you're scared and you don't like the sensations that come up, but dealing with those, um, that your abandonment wound or whatever those are and giving the avoidant person the space to kind of say, okay, like how much time do you need? And then working on, you know, how you can regulate your, or how you can kind of be with that part of yourself. And you might need another person to help you hold space because like I said, you might be so dysregulated, but if you pressure an avoidant person to connect when you need to connect, it will lead to more avoidance and, this happens unconsciously over, and so many times. And I think when we start to understand the science and the nervous system, we can start to make sense of it. Yet it is still our knee jerk to want to connect when we're scared and want to run away when we're scared. So if someone's running away or shutting down, trying to connect with them in that moment is not going to work. But giving them the space and requesting a time to connect again and doing your best to not escalate yourself is a lot of work. It's stretching, but that would be the best advice. I love that. Now, this is always interesting to people and they don't really connect the dots on this. How your attachment style plays a role in the workplace. Yeah, I mean, so we have more than one embedded attachment style. And I would say that we reenact sometimes our childhood patterns with anybody in a place of authority. So that can happen. So if you have a critical boss, sometimes that can be a reawakened inside of you if you had a critical parent or so it's not so much attachment styles, but the fear response and the level of power in which we hand over to another can be um, kind of replicated in our adult life and anywhere where you see those power dynamics. And, and I would say codependency, I don't love that word, but like the people pleasing, the looking to be good enough, the overachieving, we can actually assign that to somebody in the workplace because it's a core wound that's inside of us. And we're constantly looking to be good enough or whatever the wound is. And we're looking for that in an external role 
And so we'll just kind of recreate that dynamic unconsciously with coworkers. And I, you know, you could, I just went to one example, but so we can re repeat these unhealed wounded dynamics in all of important close relationships, most likely intimate bonds are going to come up the most, but absolutely in work relationships as well. How do we know if we're being selfless, selfish, or selfful? Yeah, I would say selfless and selfish are born of sympathetic. So they're from a place of fear. So I'm going to overextend myself, self-sacrifice in the name of connection or proving my worth, um, self-abandon. So like this is an anxious person who tracks like the bodies and the needs of another and disconnects from their self in order to stay in connection. So that's actually a from a born of a place of fear and selfish when you lack empathy and you're just really stuck in self and you can only think about yourself, that's actually born of survival too. And a sympathetic place. It's actually not a happy place to be. It's not a connected place to be. We're not supposed to be super independent, selfish people. Like that's really um, damaging. So self-full is a state that we don't stay in, but it's a state of natural um, connection with another human being where there's a lot of safety and there's a reciprocation of give and take. And so we can be flexible with our boundaries. We can feel very, very safe. So there's not a lot of power dynamics that show up in that. So the more we can have relationships where we can feel authentically safe, the more we can invite more of that self-full ventral state to be more and more present. And we have to feel safe in our body and we have to feel safe with another in order for those states, um, for that state to get cultivated more and more. Jessica, thank you for joining me today and sharing your knowledge, wisdom, and research with us. If someone wants to work with you or needs additional information, what are a few ways that they can reach out to you? Sure. I'm on the internet. You can Google Jessica Baum, but my, my company is called BeSelfFull.com. So that's B-E-S-E-L-F-F-F-U-L-L.com. And then Jessica Baum, L-M-H-C, is my Instagram name. And there's all my um, connections there. And yeah, you can find the book on Amazon or everywhere. It's anxiously attached and it's it's out there. So hopefully if you heard and you liked it, you can you can find me all those ways. And guys, if you haven't gotten the book yet, make sure you go out and get your copy today. It's one of the top three books that I refer people to when they're trying to learn about attachment styles and the tools of resilience and what they can do next to start their healing journey. Thank you so much for having oh, me. Jessica, thank you so much. I appreciate you. 